Anybody go on vacation over Christmas break? Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Not that many people in 8.30 or 10, but a lot more travelers. And when I say vacation, I don't mean going to see family. That's not vacation because, let's be honest, some of us would never hang out with those people if we weren't guilted into it. I'm talking about vacation. Anybody go on a vacation? Anybody? Okay, yeah. I'm so, I wanted to. But I, I didn't get to. But I want. I, I've got some. I've got same ambitions for the future for vacation. Now for me, vacation needs to include a beach. Like the great theologian Blake Shelton said, "Some beach, somewhere." Right? Got my toes in the water. And my, anyway, that that we won't go there. Well, we might. Um, but I love the ocean. Now some people are mountain people or whatever. I love the beach. I love to get a room where I can hear the ocean, you know what I'm talking about? And those apps on your phone, they, they don't work. That, that sounds just like the ocean. No, it doesn't. It's an app on a phone. It doesn't sound like the ocean. Um, I love walking along the beach. I love seafood. Any seafood people? Okay, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do oysters because, like I told you, it's like God went, and somebody said, oh, let's eat that. Um, but if, you, if that's your thing, I ain't judging. I'm just glad that the more oysters for you, you can have mine. Um, and I used to love, when I was a kid, I used to love going as far out into the ocean as I could go. You might not believe this, but my mom and dad would always go, don't go past that point. But I had like this proclivity to disobey. I don't know if you maybe had that or whatever, but I was like, you know, what do they mean by that point? You know, and how far is too far? And so I would always go, because I love riding the waves in and, and playing. But my parents took me to see this movie in the late 70s. <laughs> you can't make this up called Jaws. exactly Jaws. Now at the time that was the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen. I don't do scary movies. That could be one of the reasons why because I can still hear you can hear the music, right? That means somebody's about to die. After that movie, I wouldn't I didn't take a bath for a week. And I'm not making that up. And my mom was like, "Perry, the shark can't get you in the bathtub." I'm like, "Mama, the shark ate a freaking helicopter. Like, have you seen the movie? When the shark eats the helicopter? So it could get me in the bathtub in easily South Carolina, right? That, that's, that was my rational thinking as a, as a kid. So now today, um, because of that movie, I just don't, I don't go in the ocean. I love to go to the beach, but I'm not getting in the water. For, for three reasons. No, number one, it's because you can't get salt water taste out of your mouth, can you? And it always gets in there. Number two, you, you're always going home with sand in your crack, and that's just, that's just the way it is. <laughs> but number three, I'm horrified of getting attacked by a shark. Now, don't tell me the odds. I know the odds. The odds are one and 250,000. I just don't want to set the shark up for success at all. I like, I don't, I don't. So, so I'll go to the ocean. I love the beach. I love everything about the beach. I love the surroundings. I'm just not getting in the water. You say, Perry, what does that have to do with church? Funny you should ask. There's a lot of people that my ocean experience is your church experience. You'll go near one, but you're not going to go too far into one. And I don't blame you. It's because maybe you fear um, a shark attack. M maybe you've been involved in Christianity, or maybe you've been pretty involved in a church, but, but because of what happened to you, or because of what happened to somebody that you love, you kind of walked away. 
And, and today, you're at least back on the shore. You're just not sure you want to get back involved again. And I completely understand why. Especially the South, this, uh, Christianity, especially in the Southeast, kind of has what I call the tabernacle approach to church. That The church is a pretty place for pretty people with pretty lives. Now, this year, 2020, I've been in ministry for 30 years, 30 years. And this is what I've discovered in 30 years of ministry. There are no pretty people with pretty lives. In fact, the more made up a person is, it's because they, they don't want you looking in a certain closet in their lives. Everybody in this room right now is jacked up. The person you're sitting next to is so jacked up. Don't say amen. Don't, don't, that, that, that was not, don't do that. So instead of like the tabernacle approach, when we started Second Chance, I thought we should look at church rather than a tabernacle, more like a table. You know, many of us just got back from Christmas and we sat around a table with people that we love. And isn't it funny that when you sit around a table and you actually take these and you put them down and engage in conversation, some of the best times of my life have happened around a table. In fact, the longer you spend around a table with someone, the more real it gets with other people. And so because of that, that's why we're doing this series and this particular message today called The Table. Now, here's what's funny about today's text. I've been reading the Bible now pretty much all my life, and the story I'm going to read to you today, I've taught on it before because anytime I teach, I have a goal to teach something new and also to hit some review. And so if it feels like I'm saying some stuff today that I've said before, you're exactly right. But there's some stuff in this story that, like I said, I've been in ministry for 30 years, and I've never seen what I'm about to show you today. Isn't it funny how you can read the Bible over and over and over again and always get something different? God always meets us exactly where we are. And so the story I'm going to read to you today, the reason I'm so fascinated by it is because it was written by a guy named Mark. Now, Mark was a disciple of a guy named Peter who was basically Jesus' right-hand man. I mean, we've all heard the jokes. When we die and go to heaven, who meets us at the gate? Peter, right? We don't even know what happened to Bartholomew. So, so Peter always meets us at the gate. So so Peter tells Mark the story about the conversion of a guy named Matthew. In this story, he's called Levi. I know there's a lot of names, but I'll, I'll get it all straight in just a second. But I want us to look at the story because there's some fascinating things in the story, like I said, that I've just never seen in the Bible. Here we go. The Bible says in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi son of Alphaeus, which is an awesome name, I think. If you're looking for a baby name, there you go, Alphaeus, um, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, if you're from a church background, we just we read a passage like that and we just skip right over it. Because, oh yeah, yeah, it's tax collector. But, but, but let's, let's kind of unpack some stuff. And for some of us, this is new, others review, it's all necessary. Um, Mark tells us 
that Jesus saw Levi. Isn't it funny that Levi wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Levi? And how many people here know today that some of the most amazing experiences that you've ever had with God weren't the times that you went looking for God, but that God just happened to show up in your life? I don't know about you, but that's been some of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. And isn't it funny how he always seems to meet us at our lowest place? Which brings me back to the story. Levi was sitting, what was his occupation? He was a tax collector. Now, when we read that, we kind of keep moving. But in the first century, when they would have read this, people would have kind of shook their heads because they had categories. Now, we have this today. We don't really say it. We have categories of sinners. And, and tax collector, that was the bottom of the barrel. You couldn't, like if you were a sinner, you could at least say, well, at least I'm not a tax collector. Tax collectors were pretty much in Jewish culture damned to hell because they had sold their soul to the Roman government. Romans were pagans. They were collecting taxes. They were extorting money from the Jewish people. They had turned their back on God. They had turned their back on the nation of Israel. If there was anybody that was hopeless, if there was anybody that could not be helped, if there was anybody that everybody had given up on, it was a tax collector. But aren't you glad that when everybody else has given up on you, that Jesus has never given up on you? And so he, Levi gets up and he goes out. Yeah, there's a couple people that are excited. He gets up and he goes to work and Jesus walks up to him. Now, if Jesus walked up to somebody sinning, He's, he's in the act of sin. Jesus could have said anything. Stop it. And he'd been right. Should have been collecting taxes. Jesus could have said, you're wrong. Doesn't that feel good sometimes? Just to look at somebody and tell them that they're wrong. Am I the only person? Am I the only person that, okay, yeah, 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 there's a couple people. Well, no, I love admitting that I'm wrong. No, 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 no. I love, you were wrong. You were wrong. You're wrong, Philip Cox. Clipson is going to finish higher than Georgia in the rankings. Yeah. He's watching somewhere right now. If he's not, he should be. Um, but instead of, instead of con condemnation, Jesus said, hey, Matthew, why don't you follow me and be my disciple? He didn't even tell him to stop collecting taxes. I've heard scholars and theologians say, and at that point, Matthew, stop collecting taxes. Bob didn't say that. We don't know when he got done with his tax collector thing. We just know that he said, Levi got up and followed him. This is insane. This would be, speaking of Philip, this would be because people ask me, where'd you find Philip as a worship leader? Let's say this was the story. This is not the story, but let's say this is the story. I got lost in Atlanta. I was driving around. I didn't know where to, I pulled up on a corner. I saw a crack dealer. The crack dealer came up to my car. And I said, I'm sorry, sir. I am lost. He said, well, my name is Philip Cox and I sell crack. How much would you like? And I said, oh my gosh, I think I've seen you before. Do you play Guitar and happen to lead worship? Yes, I also lead worship. Would you love to come be our worship leader? Yes, I would. That's how I found, okay, that's not how I found Philip, so don't worry. Don't worry. We actually met in a strip club. But anyway, I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've never been to one. Um, whoo. 
There's a YouTube moment right there. That right there brought everybody back in. <laughs> but that would be insane. Normally, we want polished people in certain positions, right? But, but Jesus goes up to the man that had no hope, the man that had no joy, the man who had everybody had given up on, instead of saying, stop it, he said, follow me. Now, this is, it gets crazy. It gets crazier. This is, this is not, even, not even the craziest part. Later, and we don't know how much later, probably wasn't much later, but later, that's, what, that's all we, we, we know, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, which I'm, I'm like, I guess there were reputable sinners and then disreputable. I'm a reputable sinner. You are disreputable. Um, I have no idea. This, I'm just reading the Bible. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. Huh. I've never read that. Well, let's just back up for a second. We in America, and I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at this. I love this. We're used to fast food, right? How many have ever eaten a meal in your car? You've eaten a meal in your car. Okay, yeah. How many have ever changed clothes in your car? Yeah. Stop that. <laughs> what if you have a wreck? No reason. The reason I was completely nude, your officer, I was changing clothes. Your officer? Uh, officers, I was changing clothes. But we're used to fast food, right? We're going through, we're going through Chick-fil-A. That's automatically what I think about fast food, right? Somebody like McDonald's. Okay, McDonald's is neither fast nor food. Let's just be honest about it. So, so Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, you go through the line, they confirm your order 17 times. Are you still Perry? Do you still, yeah, I, yeah, I was two cars back. I haven't not changed my mind. I want the same thing. But you get through the line, you're so fast, you're eating nuggets, you're throwing nuggets at your kids, your kids are throwing nuggets at each other, you got the whole family, they're eating in the car. Why is it that anytime you wear something white, coffee, ketchup, like everything, you just, it's like a magnet. We're used to fast food, but in the ancient Near East, and it's actually this way, um, still to this day, a meal was not just something you did to get through the day. A meal, like if you sat down at a table with someone, well, it meant that you were identifying with and accepting the people at the table. So when Jesus sits down with tax, many, many tax collectors, and disreputable sinners, he was making a statement. These people are my people. Sitting at a table in the ancient Near East was way more than rushing through a meal. It was identification. Now, here's the thing that gets me. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. There, there were many people, tax collectors and disreputable sinners, who were following Jesus. See, we've always been told, we've always been told, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you got to get up every morning, you got to read your Bible for 30 minutes, you got to pray for 30 minutes, you got to journal for 30 minutes, you got to listen to 30 minutes worship music. And not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but at the end of the day, Who's got time for that? 
Moms with newborns, do you have two hours in the morning? No, if you do, you're sleeping, right? I mean, it's just, it's just insane. But we made up all these rules and regulations. But here in the scripture, we see that there's people who are, who are tax collecting and disreputable sinners, but they want to follow Jesus. Aren't there people in this room, and don't raise your hands, that you want to follow Jesus, you love Jesus, you're trying to follow Jesus, but you're still wrestling with this thing, this addiction, this habit, this problem, this worry, this stress, this anxiety, and you've been told by people you can't follow Jesus and have that going on in your life at the same time. <laughs> okay, okay, Mr. Perfect. What do you do with this right here? What do you think the conversation was like at the table with tax collectors and disreputable sinners? You think there was some colorful language? I, 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 I'm just tired of fake. Are you tired of fake? I don't think it was like, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Living in the light of his love. You bought some crack from Philip. <laughs> One of the biggest myths in the church today is that you have to be perfect to follow Jesus. I read this right here, and I'm like, wouldn't it be awesome if the same people that were attracted to Jesus attracted to the church because when I sit down at the table I don't want to sit with people that pretend to be perfect but rather know who they are oh it gets it gets even better because some people show up but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees cue the shark music saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with those people? Isn't, 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 that, a bit, isn't that a bit harsh? But this is the thing I discovered about religious people. Religious people are always looking for problems in other people's lives so they don't have to deal with the problems in their own life. And anytime I'm, and listen, I, the reason I know this so well is because I was that person. If y'all had met me 15 years ago, you wouldn't have liked me. Some of y'all are like, I don't like you now. Well, that's fine. I'm glad. I mean, but, but like 15, I was the guy, like you can't listen to that music and you can't go to that place and you can't go to rated R movies. And I was, I was hardcore on that rated R movie thing until the passion of the Christ came out. And it was rated yeah, then I was like, well, you can go to R-rated movies about Jesus. Isn't it funny how we have to make up rules to justify our rules? So here come these guys, and they're, they're the religious people, and they're like, why? <laughs> why are you eating with those people? You know, one of the things about growing up in church that I really did love is some of the old hymns that we used to sing, and I'm a I love those old hymns. When I say old hymns, the ones that we sang back then, but when we sing them today, they bring back some really good memories, right? Like This is one of my favorite. Great is thy faithfulness. You remember this one? 
Great is thy faithfulness. If you know it, sing it with me. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. How many know it's because of his faithfulness that we're here today? Now, religious, religious people won't sing that. They won't sing, great is thy faithfulness. They'll sing, great is my faithfulness. Great is my faithfulness. Lord, I'm so glad that you got to see me. <laughs> you ever met that person? Right? It's, it's, they think that, listen, at the end of the day, the reason things are right between me and God is not because of what I have done. It's because what he has done. It's not because of my faithfulness. It's because of his faithfulness. People have told me, People have told me, hey, I really do admire what you've gone through because through that whole journey, you never let go of Jesus. Hey, my friend, understand something. Through the journey I've been through the past three, three and a half years, it wasn't that I didn't let go of Jesus. It's that Jesus did not let go of me. That's the reason I'm standing here today. That's the reason I can sing great is his faithfulness because I know that my works of righteousness at the end of the day can't produce anything good or significant. So these guys show up and they say, why, why are you eating with those people? In other words, religious people want other people that aren't as good as them. They just want them to leave the table. But you know who's welcome at Jesus' table? All people. See, we've got to be careful when we talk about those people. Those people. Everybody's welcome at this table. White people. Black people, rich people, poor people, Democrats, Republicans, gay people. Oh, it just got real, didn't it? I love it when people tell me, I'm straight. I know too much about you, bro. You're crooked. You're crooked as a dog's hind leg. All people are welcome at the table of Jesus. And if all people were welcome at Jesus' table, then all people are going to be welcome in this church. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it has to be. And so, so the religious people are like, why does he eat with those people? And I love it. When Jesus heard them, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. In other words, Jesus acknowledged, hey, there's some sick people at the table. There, there are some sick people at the table. He wasn't denying that. He said, I have come to call those who, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. By the way, that would be you guys but those who know they are sinners. Hey, at the end of the day, I know, I know that apart 
from the grace of God, I'm screwed, and so are you. So, as I was looking at this passage and really thinking about the vision of our church and what I hope we become, or what we are going to become by God's grace, there are four things, and I'm, I'll cover these quickly, don't worry. Um, there are four things that I really want for every single person that walks in the doors or logs on at Second Chance Church. Number one, hope. Hope. I learned about hope a long time ago, but there are things that continue to happen that provide hope in my life. Like the Clemson-Ohio State game. A lot of Clemson fans lost hope. I kept telling y'all on social media, if you thought, I was like, we're okay. We're okay. Well, now I was nervous. I was, I, you couldn't have driven a safety pin up my butt with a sledgehammer. A visual image that some of y'all just didn't need. I don't. I didn't even say that in the other. So I'm so sorry. I'm actually not sorry. But people lose hope. I've seen. I've met so many people in life that have lost hope. This is what I love. Recently, I ran into somebody, and and people ask me this. People are like, "I need to talk to you, but I need you to guarantee me I'm not going to be a sermon illustration." I can't do that. This person didn't care. They said, you know, so you're a pastor. Yeah, what pastor of the church? You pastor? Oh, second chance. Oh, you're the feel-good church. Why, well, yeah, I guess so. Because the, the, the other would be like the feel-bad church. And haven't you been there? You know, the, the, the pastor does a drive-by with a Bible. <laughs> like you walk out. And the question in your mind is, do I do anything right? Now, it's the drive-by guilting. I've done drive-by guiltings before. At the end of the day, I, if we're going to, I want to be the feel-good church. I want you to feel good about the fact that there is a God who loves you and has greater plans for our lives than we could ever imagine. I want you to feel good about the fact that you can take another step. I want you to feel good about second chances. I want you to feel good about the fact that even though you may not have lived the life you wanted, you can still have a life that's immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. I want everybody to walk out of these doors thinking, I can take my next step in Christ. I can do this. Even if the Holy Spirit convicts us of something during a message, I want you to have hope because the Holy Spirit pointed something out that was wrong, and the reason he pointed out something that was wrong is because he wants to help us to make it right so that we can step into the life that he has for us. At the end of the day, I want every single person that attends this church to be filled with hope. Second, second thing I want is for people to get help. Now, it's, listen, with a lot of people, not with all people, it should be easy to invite people to take a chance, especially people that say they're not church people, say you need to come take a chance. They're like, I don't know if I can go to church. Just tell them, we've got the only pastor in the upstate that's been to rehab. <laughs> hey, I own it. I own it. I talk about it freely. I don't hide it. I've been to rehab. You know why? It's a part of my story. And by the way, let me go ahead and address this because it was a rumor for a long time. Not only did I go to rehab, I freaking completed my rehab program. I got a coin. I got a graduation. I walked through that thing. Now, people ask me, aren't you glad you went? No. 
It sucked. It was humiliating. Getting strip searched, random drug and alcohol tests. But do you know that I had to go to rehab to learn what community is all about? When I got there, we got in a, I got in my group, and when you get in your group, your first time in, you got to tell your story. Like, basically, how did you get here? Because nobody goes because they have nothing to do. And so I told them what I did. You know, I'm a preacher. Oh, preaching rehab. That's pretty cool. They're kind of looking at each other. I'm kind of like feeling awkward. And I got ready to tell my story. And a guy named James looked at me and said, hey, man, we got a rule here before you start. I want to share this rule with you. Is that okay? He said, no bullshit. I said, oh, uh, good rule. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, if you don't tell the truth, you can't get help. You're not here because you got your stuff together. So you be honest in this room. By the way, if, if it bothers you that I use the word bullshit from stage, probably not your church. I talk the same way on this stage. I talk at home. I, I bet you wouldn't talk that way in front of your daughter. <laughs> yes, I do. I just decided, look, I'm going I'm to be the same. Where I, anyway, that's another message for another time. Here's the thing I discovered, though. When you get honest, you can get help. I realized that nobody is here in rehab because they got their stuff together. They all came here because they needed help. And I've been in too many Christian circles where we try to impress each other with our Bible knowledge and our godliness. Meanwhile, our lives are completely falling apart. What if we got around a table and just got real with each other and we said, you know what? I'm not doing good. I'm drinking too much. Taking too many pills. I'm, I'm dealing with, with anxiety. I'm stressed out. But the reason we won't do that, I understand. The reason we don't do that is because we, if we go to a church with a tabernacle approach, when you ask for help, you either get pushed down or cast out. And I want this to be the safest place on the planet to say I'm not okay and I need help. Hey, if I can get on stage and tell y'all my junk, you should feel free to talk about anything going on in your life. Judgment-free zone. Number three is healing. Do you know healing only comes when we ask for help? In other words, if you want to be healed of whatever you're going through, it only comes through actually acknowledging there's something wrong in my life, there's something broken, there's something off, and I need to heal. How incredible would it be for people that have been walking wounded for years could step into this thing called healing? See, this is what I want for every single person. And you know why I want these things? These are things that I've experienced in my walk with Christ. It, oh, by the way, 
By the way, asking for help is not easy. But it's the only way to get here. And last but not least, I want, I want people to know they're going to heaven when they step into eternity. I want for us to know, to know for a fact. I was reading a book this week. It was fascinating. I was reading a book on what heaven's going to be like. And the author even acknowledged nobody can really fully understand or grasp what heaven is going to be like. But the reason we know it's going to be awesome is because Jesus is there. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I'm done, I'm coming back to get you. And so we know if he's been, listen, if Jesus has been working on something for 2,000 years, it's going to be freaking awesome. That's where I want to be. And so we can know for a fact. And the, the way we know that we're going to heaven is not by how righteous we are, but it's by simply asking Jesus to come into our lives, saying, yes, I'll follow you. At the end of the day, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but the song we sang earlier, he really is a way maker, a promise keeper, a miracle worker, a light in the darkness. Think about Matthew. Got up to go to work as a tax collector one morning, thinking God had completely given up on him. No hope, no peace, no joy. And by the end of the day, he was following Jesus and ultimately got a front row seat to the resurrection. Because even though he had given up on God, God had not given up on him, and God has not given up on you. With that in mind, can we stand for prayer? Father, I thank you so much that we see so clearly in this story that even though Matthew didn't see you working, that you were working. And here today in this room, God, there's so many of us that really have wrestled with God, are you even there? But God, even though you're not, even though we can't see that you're working, you are working. You are making a way. You have not given up on us.